Welcome to Because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it has on their lives. My name is Nolan Bicknell. Sister Leslie Sackerman has a list of community accomplishments and accolades too long to name. She's the founder of so many programs and organizations in our city that you may have heard of. Holy Names House of Peace, the Eagle Circle, and Rossberg House, just to name a few. She served on boards of many organizations as well, including Esther House, Anishinaabe Oweishi, and the Winnipeg Foundation. And she also holds an honorary doctorate of divinity from the University of Winnipeg. But she's probably most well known for her devotion to making life better for children, for women, and for any person in need of a helping hand. I'm a teacher. I would say I'm a teacher. I, what I see is like, I can see the strengths in people. Mm and I can build on those strengths. And that's, that's leadership in one element. But that's why it works. As a former teacher for more than 17 years, Sister Leslie has made it her life's work to teach, to help, and to lead. I sat down with Sister Leslie to talk about the power of empathy, the generosity of community, and acknowledging the struggle and inequity in our world. Because the newcomer women I live with are my family. They challenge all of us to be our best selves. Sister Leslie, thank you very much for being on the Because and Effect podcast. I'm honored to have you as my guest and really excited to talk about about you and about your uh, history and about um, your dedication to making the world a better place. So I guess uh, my first question is, where did this all start? Bring me back to when you kind of first decided to make it your life's work to, to help others. I don't really know, Nolan, where, where it really first started. I, I know I was always um, involved as a student in you know anything that was there to um, be of help in whatever capacity. But I entered religious life when I was 17, so right after grade 12. So that's kind of where it took a, a big leap. Was there a yeah. moment or just a thing where you thought, Kate, this is, did you have one of those divine moments where no. I was like, I have to do this? <laughs> I felt I had to do it in a good way, yeah. in a good way, because I, I felt really lucky and blessed yeah. and wanted to give back. And on another level, I didn't want to do it because life was good when I was 17. So, it, um, mm. you know, that was a decision. But once I made it, that was, that was a, it was a right decision, and I've been happy, for sure. You jumped all in. Yes. Yeah. That's how I am. Well, I for sure. You just yeah. whenever something needs to get done, yeah. you go all, all at well, it? Well, like one statement that has always driven me, and uh, as a teenager, was Helen Keller's statement. I mean, I love Helen Keller. Um, I admire her so much, but like it was, life is a daring adventure or it's nothing. Life is a daring adventure or it's nothing. Yeah. It's beautiful. And, and I really, I really love it. It drives me. I think that's for everyone. And I really like it. What are some of the first adventures that you remember having when you made the decision to dedicate your life? Well, the, the key one, uh, and a, a very monumental one, was when um, Sister Geraldine McNamara, I don't know if you know of her, no? I, I, I read about her when I was kind of researching. But, right, yeah. yes. There's, uh, well, she was my best friend, and she was a teacher and a lawyer. And she asked me to go to, out for coffee, and you know, some of the best things happen over with a good friend over coffee. That's when creativity really can be at its best. 
And, and we talked about returning to the area, the city, where our sisters had first been when they landed in Winnipeg. Mm. And that's uh, in the Point Douglas area. And um, that was in the fall. And by Christmas, we had moved into this uh, duplex that was falling down. Literally, it was condemned when we moved out of mm. it. It was really... But it was an adventure, and it was fun. And I think the main reason we moved there was just to live among the people mm -hmm. and take direction from the people. For me, that's critical, right. Roland, always, always. And so this is Rossbrook House we're talking about? Mm, well, uh, this was on Lorne Avenue okay. in the Point Douglas area. But in, the, in essence, that's the beginning of Rossbrook. Because in listening to the people, that's when um, Jerry decided, I'm going into law mm. school, um, because the kids all knew this lawyer, that uh, warden, this... Uh, social worker they did not know the teacher the principal and so she figured if she was going to be of any use she needed to know the system right. that was organizing their lives for them how so, is this how is that system different back then than it is now well i i'm not i'm not so involved when i was at rossbrook i mm -hmm. was very involved in going to the youth center and to stony mountain and and all of that, I, I don't know how, I couldn't answer okay, that. Okay, gotcha. Nolan. But as far as maybe how um, your work pertains to dealing with kids and, and different yeah. women who are in need of help, how would you say uh, navigating the current way we have things set up has changed for you over the years? Is it, or is it the same approach maybe? Is it basically the same people just need to be cared for and told that they have someone that's gonna stand up for them? Um, I don't know. I guess what what I learned is not like they've all got a voice. Like mm. this was the ki these were on Lorne Avenue, and then I moved to Ross Avenue four years later. We moved to Ross Avenue, and that was the beginning of Rossbrook officially in our basement when the children came, and the young teenagers came, and then we moved it down to Rossbrook. Um, but they've got a voice. They've got intelligence. They just, yeah, it's, they need some support alongside of them in order to be the people that they're meant to be and want to be. Right. How do we give them that support? You, you, you relate. Mm. You look eye to eye. You call a person by name. I mean, that's what, when we opened the doors, when we moved on to Ross Avenue, I was still teaching in River Heights. And um, my students had given me money at graduation that was left over, and I bought what every good convent needs. Do you know what that is? I don't know. A pool table. Ooh, yes. So when we moved on to Ross, we put this pool table in the basement, said hello to a kid. Once one kid knew you had a pool table in the area, we had the whole area. But it was always surprising because, like, it's one thing for little kids to be coming and hanging around mm. nuns. It's another thing for teenagers with, you know, tattooed all over and always being thrown out of school and every second word is, is F, wanting to hang around. And it, it, that was a really mysterious thing for me. And I, I realized I made the decision then I want to teach these kids. Mm-hmm. And and so then I began to teach at Hugh John. And again, I would see at Hugh John, like one day I was standing in the hallway in Hugh John and I felt spit running down my leg. And I knew nobody had spit at me on a personal level. But um, when I realized it had been one of the kids who comes to our house, 
uh, I thought, like, what's wrong? Like, what is happening for the child, for this young gentleman in the school? And then he's totally different. Hmm. And it, um, and it was that he was relaxed at at our place, not feeling a part of the system because maybe he's behind or he's coming late and getting yelled at or whatever. But it's not. I never really put it to a fault of any particular teacher or the school because everyone was doing their best. But it's just that lockdown system that when you're far behind, you, you, you just, you're always, always behind. And that's not a good feeling for anyone. No kidding. You know. When you say all these kids need are someone to, to look them <coughs> in the eye and mm-hmm. say their name, it, it sort of, it puts into perspective what we take for granted of people who kind of grow up socialized differently and have the, have that in their natural, maybe in their home life or in their school life. Um, how do we bridge the gap between people who don't have that perspective or haven't lived that experience to those that do? And, and they clearly need a little bit of support. I think we all have to, all of us here in Winnipeg have to be able to call a homeless person by name. Mm. That would change us. Call a, a young person that's being put back and forth from the youth center and out and in and out. Be able to call them by name. I mean, that is what takes down prejudice, takes down racism, yeah. you know. And it then humanizes someone. It humanizes, yes. Mm-hmm. And to be called by name. Like I, you know, the whole, I don't want to get into this, but that whole residential system is like, you know, when you've, you're coming from an idea and principles, what you think are principles, and, and, and you're coming at it from that idea, rather than on the ground, feet on the ground, yeah. knowing people's names, calling, and, and taking direction from people. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, and so often with the young people, and it's the same at the House of Peace, people look down on these people, so, and sometimes they're afraid, so they don't look them in the eye. Mm. They're, they're afraid of the tattoos or the kind of gang-looking outfits right. they're wearing. And so they're not, like, sitting beside you and me. You don't look afraid of me, and I'm not afraid of you. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what's needed. Yeah. Because that's respect, and that's person to person. And once you know I look at you as a person, then, um, well, there's a commonality. There's yeah. Re- there's a dehumanization when you treat someone based on the group that you think that they belong to as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you treat a gang member as a gang member instead yeah. of as, you know, Tim or Jeff yes. or whatever yes. it may be, right? Yes. I think that's kind of prevalent in a lot of the rhetoric uh, politically and otherwise mm-hmm. in, in the world too. So do you, keep, do you keep up with sort of uh, world news and everything that's kind of going on in the world or are I you focused to. on? Yeah, oh, try no, to. Oh no, I try to. What's, what's your general sense of, of uh, the way that the, the, um, the world spectrum is currently uh, operating in? Well, Nolan, like what... What really bothers me, and I don't want to get to the point where I've heard some people saying, I'm not going to turn on the news because mm-hmm. it's all negative. I'm yeah, not yeah. going there. I will not do that. But I cannot stand the kind of violence that we perpetuate uh, on each other, whether it's this party to that party or this country to that country. Or mm. I, It is not going to take us to a good place. It, it dehumanizes us, that kind of language. Yeah. And I, uh, I find that really discouraging. Um, but uh, 
you know, I think hope comes in people that you know close by. And I mean, there are people throughout the world that I admire and that are doing their bit in their countries. And, and I do have hope that goodness overcomes the kind of crap or evil <laughs> in the world. Agreed. Yeah. I think I personally believe that the good outnumber the bad yes. by a large yes. margin. However, it's just kind of human nature to focus on the negative and focus on the those those that minority of of negativity that mm-hmm. that permeates through our society. How how do we how do we inspire empathy in the average person to understand that it is just a few bad apples and don't let it spoil the bunch. Mm-hmm. Well, again, I'm going to go back to the same answer, Nolan. Like, until somebody meets something, if they're dealing with their head, only in their head. It's that it's personal not experience, right? It, it is needs the personal. To be, yeah. Like, so, like uh, that's the wonder of the house of peace. Like, like we have right now, we have Hindu, Sikh, Muslim, Buddhist, Christian. Orthodox, uh, you know, we're a mixture, and we're all ages in all countries, and like you cannot say Muslims are terrorists or dangerous, or you cannot say that um, this group is. And we've had indigenous. You can't say put stereotypes onto anybody when you've, you know, when you've met somebody. Right. It breaks. It breaks, it breaks the stereotypes. It, it yeah. breaks the stereotypes, mm-hmm. and then you begin to look at the world differently, and then you speak differently. If you choose. Right. Yeah, exactly. So then is the, it, we just need to encourage people to get out there, volunteer, meet different cultures. Call um, somebody f- by name. Yeah. Seriously. Mm. Not just go to Salome Mission and just, you know, I heard on Scott Oaks that, you know, he could know, he knows the names of some of the people at Salome. That's where the difference is made. It's a human to human contact. That, and, and he's changed, they're changed. And probably equally. Yeah. And that's f- true for all of us when we are dare to cross a boundary, whether it's gender or race or, you know, then we don't, we're not as afraid. So yeah. we don't have to be defensive and violent in our language. At the end of the day, it and just... I used the word crap and that's violent. That's okay. Hey, <laughs> if that's the worst word you use today, then we'll consider that a victory. That's not bad at all. I think, yeah, it just seems like at the end of the day, it's... It's, it's experience, introduce yourself and have that experience. Cause as soon as you realize that we're all just people, all we want, I love the quote that you, I read from you, everyone deserves security, safety and opportunity, and no one will be turned away. Mm-hmm. I think that perfectly encompasses a wonderful mantra to kind of live by. Do you remember that quote yeah, or where it's from? Yeah, No, I don't remember where it's oh, from, but okay. I've spoken like that in that many times. vein for sure. So you have kind of all sorts of different your hand in so many different organizations. You've been board member at the Winnipeg Foundation, Esther House, founder of Holy Names House of Peace. Where does that motivation come from? How do you keep going and keep energized and keep making such great work, keep doing such great work? You know, Nolan, to me, whatever I've done, it's baby stepping. Mm. You know, like you open the door. I can open a door. That doesn't take energy. You know, somebody says, I need to get a lawyer for something. Okay. I, I'll look and I can, that's not, you know. Somebody says, do you mind if I sleep here? Okay. 
It, it's really little steps. If I ever, ever considered House of Peace, what it is now, or Rossbrook, what it was, or you'd stop. You'd just be, you know, where's the money going to come mm. from? What are, how are we going to handle this? What if somebody does this? What? All these questions that are in the head. But when you're face-to-face -face with people and you're walking with people, you're not alone because already, if the two of us are talking, there are two people involved in the project. And then when three or four, there are four of us holding the base. It's not a one leadership. The leadership is in the community. Right. You just need one person to kind of gather the troops a yes, little bit. Yes, yeah. or just somebody to dare to say, I'm vulnerable. Will you help me? Yeah. So it seems like you've created a very beautiful community within Holy Names House of Peace. Can yeah. you just kind of explain how that all got started and what the mission is? Okay. Um, well, I was the director at Rossbrook House. And for, um, for a few years, this is back in around 2000, I began to feel like that my heart was hardening. Oh. Like what, what, when a child would run rock into Rossbrook and be crying because the, the, there was all hell was breaking loose at home. Mm -hmm. You know, my heart would just break. And I'm telling you, I would be there. There may be tears there, you know, but I was right there. Mm -hmm. But after year after year, child after child, teenager after teenager, it it can happen to anyone. Oh, for you sure. know, you know, you just, you know, here we go again, and it's the distance. I was still, of course, concerned, but I was not happy inside. I can't live that way. No kidding. And so I thought, holy smokes, I need heart surgery, of the highest order. And so I took a, a four month sabbatical. And I went to New York City, I took a bus to New York, and I went to live in a homeless shelter because I decided I wanted not just to work with people, and like Rossbrook started in our house and moved down, so it was only half a block down the street, it's, I, and they were always coming into our house, so I was. But I wanted to totally live with people because I thought that would cure me. Hmm. So I went to this shelter in New York City and uh, seriously, Nolan, after the week, first week, I thought, this is it. I'm going to have a nervous breakdown. I'm coming home. I, I, I don't care if anybody thinks I'm a coward or whatever. I'm, I, I need to come home. And what was bothering me was the filth. There were mice, like mm. the size of rats, because they, had, they ran the house. We were guests in the house. The, the mice were the occupants. And the cockroaches were running everywhere. I have, uh, normally I would bathe or wash my hair every day. There once a week. I couldn't talk. I couldn't do it. And I, and mice jumping on my bed or you open a cupboard and oh, it was <sighs> horrific. Horrific. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not prissy, but I, <laughs> I, I, I like, yeah. you know, I, wow. I, anyhow, it was terrible. And I don't know how I got through that because I really was, it was really, I wasn't sleeping with the mice in the room and everything. So, um, but I, somehow I think, and this is often what's gotten me through hard decisions when I realize, hey, you know, I can take a bus or hop a plane and come back. Mm -hmm. I've got a place to go to. These people have no opportunity to make those choices. Right. Leslie, settle down and, you know, 
And it did. It mm-hmm. did. And I stayed there for two months. And I was so grateful. The people there were lovely. I mean, I had no fear of any of the people. It was all the other around. So when I came back to Rossbrook, my heart was, I had had heart surgery. Mm-hmm. I was connected again. It, it, was, it was the perfect medicine for me. But, and, and I was happy to be back. But I really wanted to live with people not just work with them, really mm-hmm. wanted to, because that experience had been rich beyond, uh, in the shelter, really rich. So I had my eyes and ears open, and that's what I do. I don't go starting things, but I listen deeply, and I'm, you know. For that, opportunities. Yes, yeah. really. I'm on alert. At my best, I'm on alert all the time. And so then this building came available, at 211 Edmonton Street, the Franciscan friars were leaving the city because they, um, they well, they had to leave the city. Mm-hmm. So it came available, and um, I spoke to my community, another sister who was older than me, who I hardly knew, I mean, very, very different personality, um, said she'd come and live with me. So the two of us moved into this monstrous building like it's 24,500 feet it's beautiful yes and um alone like in here so what are we going to do absolute idiocy no money like the man who bought the building for us he was he did gave us a good deal um four dollars a square foot which is downtown property yeah that's good deal but you need four dollars times two thousand twenty-four thousand. It becomes there's a bill to pay. Yeah. Like no money. What are we going to do with this building? No idea. And um, so it looks crazy, but it's not. You know, when your gut tells you, you leap and trust that the net will unfold. Hmm. You know, like when you were talking about risk management, right, you come yeah, back yeah. from this thing. Like you know, like sometimes the risk. It looks risky because we did have a, a lease to fulfill and, and everything else. So, so for two years, I was living. I moved in there, and I was director, co-director at Rossbrook, and all of a sudden, director of this place that started to grow Just through really word of mouth fast. or what? Yeah. Well, w- the first the goal there was keep going what was happening. Mm-hmm. So what the place had been before was it was very Catholic. It was the Mass and Sacrament of Reconciliation. Mm. So I want I called up every priest I knew and got everybody organized. Take one day here, one day there, and it got that organized. But then I have a friend who is a cocaine addict, and she had said, "Can we have our meetings at your place?" And uh, so I said, of course. You see, that's how it happens. I don't go thinking, oh, it, there's a lot of drug addiction here. We should have meetings. No, it's, right. it, it it's always comes. It's a need comes, that needs to be it, filled. Yeah. And it always comes, f- for me, it comes through a person. Mm-hmm. And, and then it's my chance or my challenge to jump to the pump. And so, well, it was not, no problem. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course, come. Mm-hmm. So we've had Cocaine Anonymous since 2004 every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday night, whether it's Christmas, New Year's, whatever, that place is open for for them. And they are fabulous people, fabulous for us in the building. 
and um, that's where you know any controversy about the Scott Oak Center just mm-hmm. blows my mind yeah, because this sure. is uh, it's really been very positive for Absolutely. us. So what 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 is it currently? How would you describe Holy Names House of Peace as it currently stands? Well, it is it is uh, um, the main part is it empowers newcomer women to to live life mm-hmm. and begin because there's the need there's the yes, need yes there's that, the right? need yeah. yeah see like after one month that was my friend the cocaine addict and then the, within a few days after she had asked a, a woman asked can she live with us yes mm-hmm. and that's the beginning of neighbors which is our community name for our a group of women and that's where it started with one but was it meant for any particular person or no but it it takes its shape as it grows step by step i can't think of many organizations that just exist to feed the needs of whatever that community happens to need right like you just here's a thing that exists come tell us what you need and we'll we'll do our best to help but that's a success level yeah. like rossbrook is successful mm-hmm. why because the kids owned it from day 1 mm. You know, they went. They were empowered. They were empowered. You know, Sister Jerry, Mac, and I went to city council with them, Mm. not speaking for them, with them. Who did we hire? Those kids. The ownership. When we own something, when it's ours, you know, then then it works. Like I said, there's no one person. All of a sudden, it's a group taking ownership. You've got talent. I've got talent. Different talents. But we're all in the circle, and it works. And and you'll put your life on the line because you need it. Mm-hmm. I need it too. Yeah. I need this kind of communication with such wonderful people I've met. Well, and it's not one group or one organization or one person telling you what you need. Here's what will fix the problems. It's what are your problems, and then we can work together. Yeah, and you better be able to put out your like when they wanted the chapel going. Like I'm a nun, but I've never ever worked like in a the official church building doing that kind of work, fine, but you do it. And I like the chapel operates, everything is there in place, not because of me, but because of people. Every flower in there, somebody's bringing it in. I'm not ordering or I'm not saying we need this. You do it. It's that ownership. And that's true of Rossbrook. It's true of Esther House. It's true of House of Mm -hmm. Peace. And that is where the stability, the foundation, the energy, and it flows And the longevity. And longevity, yeah. yeah. And nobody gets burnt out in that. Yeah, because you feed off each other. Yes, well, that's it. The energy's kind of constantly rolling. Do you consider yourself a leader? Would you use that to describe yourself? In the sense that I can listen to people, like I I, I can encourage people. I'm a teacher. I would say I'm a teacher. I, uh, what I see is like I can see the strengths in people mm. and I can build on those strengths. And that's, that's leadership in one element. But that's why it works. Like it, once I see the, the strength and uh, the need or the strength, yeah, mm-hmm. like, like that was the beginning of Estrow. Somebody tells me there's a need, I, you know, it gets in me and, uh, and then, okay, I... Uh, you know, I can put two and two together, yeah, but I can't but put 2,000 and 20,000 together. Right. You know, I need well, other people. Well, one at a time, you put yeah, sure you can, right? Yeah. Yeah. But, like, that's where I call on. I'm, I'm surrounded by very wonderful people. And that's what the Winnipeg Foundation actually 
really was instrumental for me. Like I always say the being on the board of the Winnipeg Foundation for the length of time I was, was the cheapest post-secondary education Mm. anyone can ever have. And I met such good people that took me into whole different realms that I was able to invite into the House of Peace in one way or another. And people, you know, it was a match for some, it, you know, yeah. and that's how it grows. It's connect, connecting, mm. connecting people. Seeing who's capable of solving what problem and then putting them in the room with someone who has that problem almost. Yes. You know? Sounds simple, but we're simplifying it for sure. But, but. Not, even, not even going from a problem, showing my joy. Mm. You know, come. Like, yeah. you know, when I invite, it's not to come and see a problem or an issue. Come, see what, what makes me happy. What you can get happy. out of it, yeah. It yeah. Ma- makes me happy, and you'll, you'll be part. Yeah. Um, Has there ever been a moment in your life where you needed a helping hand when, when someone... Every day. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, yes. Like every... You seem like, so strong and just oh, like... Um, I like I live with amazing women and they help me and I help mm-hmm. them. Oh, every day. I mean, all of us. You can cover it up, but all of us need help. You know, in one mm-hmm. way or another. I mean, even help just to stay buoyant. Like yeah. you know, or happy. Especially or down. working in a, a, an area in society where you see a lot of difficult, the most difficult parts of society, or the, the most like people in the most need, perhaps. And that weighs on anyone personally. You know, if you're constantly, you said when your heart was broken originally, how could it not be, yeah, right? So right. that's probably something. How, how do you maintain your mental health when you're doing this day in and day out? Because it's not giving. It's, it's mutual. Mm. It is always uh, mutual. Like, you know, uh, it is, for me, it is always that. That's why I never lose the energy. And I need other people around me. I mean, sometimes I've said, like, why are you at those apiece? I'm selfish. I need these amazing, diverse, you know, people that continually challenge and make me see the world in a broader sense and, and get up and do things that I would never do, yeah. you know. So, and I don't see what's wrong. For instance, if you were in a wheelchair now, I'm not looking at a wheelchair. I'm looking at you across this table, Nolan, as a person. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm looking at all that's functioning in you and you're, you know, at me. You're not focusing on my weakness. Yeah. Well, seeing the, str- you just said seeing the strengths in people. Yes. Yeah. And that, that's always there. That is always there. I think that's what makes a good teacher too. You know, I think mm-hmm. back on all my teachers who I remember now, they are the ones that coaxed out in me what I consider to be an ability or a strength or whatever, mm-hmm. whether it be writing or mm-hmm. anything. Mm-hmm. How I think that's an important, it's almost like we don't teach teachers that that should be the main thing they focus on, right? We teach teachers to teach the curriculum and the material, yeah. but not how to really coax out the those special, how do we do that? Well, I mean, I don't know how we do it, but to me it is the key. Make like it a priority, the, I guess. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, and, and see, like it's not... Especially today with people all on internet and that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like having somebody uh, up front thinking they've got all the information and right. you don't. I mean, that is so hypocritical. Mm. But between the teacher and the students or, or in anybody, 
there's a wealth of information that when it can be shared and when a teacher can bring out in another person, oh, yes. I, and I have, that's a wonderful thing. I taught for 17 years before I had to quit because um, Sister Jerry died and I became co-director. I'm telling you, that was a challenge. No kidding. You mean following in her steps? Holy smokes. She could, oh, she could <laughs> do speeches all around the city, you oh, know, yeah. major f- figure in the Sherbert McGregor overpass, you know, mm-hmm. stopping that and, and a lawyer and all that. And then, and then comes me. But that's where, that, actually that freed me. When I was asked to be a co-director, um, they couldn't find anybody else. <laughs> so when, when you're the last um, person, well, you take what you, you got. step then, in, you step up. And, and you take what you got, and, and it worked. What are some of the benefits, I assume there are many, of having so many different cultures under the same roof mm-hmm. and sort of sitting together, eating together, sharing together. Paint, paint me a picture of what that's like on a day-to-day basis at Holy Name's House of Peace. Well, like in my mind, like if I was going to plan a house, you know, supper is a meeting place. Well, it's not in our home because people go to school during the day they're exhausted because they're trying to learn English and it's, it's a double whammy for them going to school. They come home, they want to sleep, and then they'll grab something and then they go to work. So they may cook or have their real meal 10.30 or, or 11 o'clock. So if I come down there, it's likely to be food all on one plate and people using, and the, the group right now would be using injera to pick up their food and they'd be talking and and very present to each mm. other. I mean, really present to one another. Um, what was your question? Um, <laughs> just what's it what's it like to have so many different perspectives constantly interacting with each other? It's yeah. it's a, it, you know I'm thinking where else do you get that no. opportunity? The no, United Nations or something, right? Yes, like where else is that, it? I sometimes say we're a mini United Nations. It's the truth. It, we really are. Um, it's well. It's really. Enriching. What do you get out of it? I guess I should say. Like well, how? How has it changed seeing, you? Oh, I'm telling you, I'm a nun. But uh, out of the 147 people that have lived there, I'd be in the last percentile in terms of depth of spirituality. Oh. I am serious on that. Huh. And that's all different ways of doing it. That's all different ways. It is. And I, it, it's a question for me all the time. And I really think that the women that live at the House of Peace have lost their families, or at least they're separated, have gone through such trauma. They don't know anybody. And it is their faith, which is very diverse. And there's no one way, even in the Muslims that are there, they do it you know, differently. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, every person's different. For sure. But it's there. It, uh, hmm. Unbelievable. And so that has, uh, like, what I get, I get, they deepen my faith, wow. for sure. What I get a stronger sense of community. They come from community. Their cultures are based, they only survive because of community. They're not individuals like us. Mm-hmm. And so that is always, mm. always, always, always bringing me home to that. Respect for elders. I mean, like, I do not demand that somebody 
w- pick up my cup or do <laughs> right. my dishes or that. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, if I let them, they'd be doing it all the time. Wow. It's and why? Just because I'm old. Mm. You know, that's um, that that that's not in our culture. Yeah. And uh, there's an, an an admiration and a reverence. Well, it's. That was kind of lost on the Western culture, culture when it comes but to it, elders. They're brought up in it, mm. like for their parents, their grandparents, or any person who's older. When we have older guests, they're so receptive, and but that's that's a challenge for huh. me because I, I'm in a culture where, right, um, yeah, it's just not there. Do you think hardship and struggle tends to strengthen spiritual connection? Yeah, or wipe it out of you. I mean, I've seen that where oh. some people in our society, not in them, mm. it's not wiped out in them. But I mean, I've seen people who um, have been really hurt by the church, right. or you know, or um, felt like where there is no God, no, I'm alone. And um, hmm. but I think most of the people at the House of Peace have grown up from day one. It, with a spirituality, it's not something, like, it seems to be in their family. I'm not sure to answer all that. I'm mm-hmm. always looking at that because it's such a wealth. Yeah. For them, it's what gets them through. Right. I mean, when they have a hard day, when they're physically ill, it, what, it's, it, yeah, their faith gets them through. And that is very diverse, as I said. It's amazing to me. Yeah, it is to me, too. What's the greatest takeaway from some of these women that you've been living with um, when it comes to, I don't want to say steadfastness, but but just perseverance, like when it comes to surviving some of these situations that they've come from? Like how, what, what have you taken away from some of, some of the lessons that they've taught you over the past few years? I probably I I wouldn't be I wouldn't say faith directly right away it's our our we need each other. Hmm. If we've got each other and we're safe together we'll make it. And the joy, the laughter in our home is huge. Huge. And when you're up and I'm down I get raised. When I'm up and you're down, you get raised. And that, that's for all of us. And the huge joy of, um, of even when they've left, they all, most of them keep contact. Like yesterday, Nolan, a young woman came in that five years ago she tried to get status here and couldn't. She was going to be sent home. And we have fought for five years she finally got it yesterday. She ran from the place. She hasn't been living with us for the last two two years. Um, wow. But she ran to tell us and just rejoice. Well, the whole house is rejoicing. Mm-hmm. It's like we're all Canadians. You know, we can all stay. It's not just her. It's it's that community joy. So that, that whole sense of community, feeling the pain together, feeling the joy together, um, laughing at one another, challenging one another. It's really healthy environment. 
just sharing your life with someone. Yes. Right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a spouse or a or family member. No, like this is my family yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the end of our time together, mm-hmm. uh, we have a, a little group of questions called Just Because, where I'm going to ask you seven quick questions, and I want you to not think about it too much, mm-hmm. answer in any fashion you want, um, but just answer whatever is in your heart. Okay? okay. You're willing to do that for us? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Question number one. What is the first cause that you ever remember caring about? It would be, I'm four years old. I'm on a bus with my mom. There's um, a man who's drunk on the bus, who's slobbering and acting, in my mind, oddly as a child. And I'm staring at the man, and my mom leans over and says, Leslie, don't stare at him, he's sick. That influenced me, like uh, probably one of the main influence my mom had on me. And that led me throughout all my experiences. That's profound. Uh, yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah, it was very strong. And I was four. I know I was four because I was in kindergarten. Wow. Yeah. Number two, if money, politics, logistics were no issue at all to you, what's the first thing you would do in support of your, your cause? Okay. I've raised $5 million. I'm going to give it to the Winnipeg Foundation <laughs> and put it into, seriously, yeah. I'm putting it into the Holy Names House of Peace Fund. Why? So that we can have a sustaining funder at the House of Peace. Like, I mean, Nolan, that's the serious part of the House yeah. of Peace. 15 years and no sustaining funder. Wow. You know, so we've got, and I want to see the House of Peace go on and without some kind of funding from someone. It's not that we're suffering, but nothing is consistent. For sure. That's very pragmatic. What about the philosophical? Um, if I could do anything? Yeah, anything philosophically. How would you uh, uh, change society, for example? Oh, change for society? Yeah. I take a wand and put peace in everybody's heart. <laughs> Seriously. That's good. Yeah. I, that's, if I, you know, if I could, that we'd all find some peace and not be afraid of one another. And it just comes back to having those experiences, putting yourself in a position to understand different cultures and different approaches, and then you realize we're all just the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number three, what is the biggest misunderstanding or stigma about the cause? Well, what scares me and what I hear sometimes is that, like, you know, all, with all these immigrants and refugees coming, we, you know, we're not ready and we, we can't do this and we can't do that and they're going to use up our health care and resources and uh, that I find really heartbreaking because we have only to win. My experiences were the winners. Yeah. Um, and I, that really hurts because when you look at the size of Canada, when you look at our wealth, if we want to solve this, if we want it, it's not a problem. Pardon me, I shouldn't have even said solve. But if yeah. we want to welcome and live fully, and then we need to welcome and celebrate newness of life. Yeah. Well said. Number four, when... I don't know how you're going to answer this. I'm, I'm intrigued. How do you, number four, wh- how do you know 
when it's time to throw in the towel and say, okay, we got to try something different. In general, um, like it doesn't enter my mind. Like I, there's no, I, I don't think that's an option when you're in relationship with somebody. For me, it's not an option to throw in the towel. Now, if challenges come, then I see those as opportunities. Okay, we've been doing this for this long. This seems to be not working so well. What do we do? What are we seeing? How do we have to change? But it's not throwing in the towel. It's adjusting to newness of challenges and changes and moving forward. I don't know if I've ever thrown in the towel on too much in my life. I was going to say, it didn't seem like that. We have a poster that's just in the, in the foundation here that says, find a way to say yes. Yes. And it's such a perfectly encompassing, I think, of how you approach life and approach philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Just find a way to make it work. Yes. Yeah. Number five, what is the best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Um, that would be um, Stan McKay. I don't know if you know him. He's a, an indigenous... Um, uh, leader, elder, um, he taught us once, I was in a course, and he taught this. Um, his father had told him this. When you're up against challenges or something new strikes you or you're odd or whatever, or it, it makes you angry, say this. And he did it in Cree, which is Mama Scots, which means, isn't that amazing? Hmm. So, if Rick Frost walked in here and said, you're fired, <laughs> Nolan. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't sir? that amazing? But you see what that kind of, saying that to a situation lets options flow. Let's, you know, there's no judgment. There's no trying to control. It's, it gives you a breathing point to say, Isn't that amazing? And the mind works, and you can be creative, and you can solve a problem or address a situation. If that's the first step you take. Yeah. So when somebody does something strange at home, or at Rossbrick, if somebody had done, you know, isn't that amazing? Did you say that many times? Very (laughs) often, very often. But it's a very helpful tool, because that's what continues the relationship. You know, like, isn't that amazing? Then you can, the, it opens the door for discussion in your mind rather than slamming it or judging yeah, yeah. it. Or, or getting frustrated. Or frustrated yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? That reminds me of, um, I listened to a different podcast um, and there's a former Marine who says whenever his old platoon would say like, oh, sir, we're tired here. He would say, good. You're tired? Good. Oh, you're, you lost, you didn't get that promotion? Good. How are you going to? How are you going to get it next time? Or what are you going to change to improve? So anytime something bad happens, or you're tired when you're going Mm -hmm. for a run, good. Mm -hmm. Next time you (laughs) won't be tired, you know? And it's, I think, and that's a very similar kind of a mindset of like, that Mm -hmm. is amazing. I'm going to use that. Mama Scott. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Beautiful. Uh, Number six of the just because questions. Um, What advice would you give your 10-year-old self if you could talk to her right now? Hey, Leslie, you're a good kid, and I love you. Beautiful, simple, beautiful. Yeah, I think I, I would not have any advice, any adult advice to give. B- 
because I don't know what she would be facing in the next years. I think when I know I'm loved, when, if you, if, when we know we're loved and respected, then we've got the essence, the inner, the foundation to become yourself, to become yourself yeah. and yeah. face whatever you. So I would say I love you. Perfect. Last question. Uh, what do you want to be remembered for? I don't care if you remember me for anything, but I'd, I'd love you to be involved in my life now. Mm. That's, that's for me more important. I say something about me or no, come now and walk with me rather than remember me. Memories are ethereal where yes, we need and, to get some stuff done now. Yes, yeah. be with me now. I, I mean, this it, it make me... Respect me now, you know, now is more important than, than when I'm gone. Agreed. There's lots of work to do now. Yeah. So and lots of fun to have too now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sister Leslie, thank you for talking mm -hmm. to us, for being so generous with your time and your energy and all the great work you do for Winnipeg. And I mean, from people across the world. Thank you, Nolan. Thank you again to Sister Leslie for, for sitting down and talking to us on the Cause and Effect podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Um, Sister Leslie, she has such an energy and such an, uh, such an exuberance of, about her that it's really inspiring to hear her talk. And I could, uh, we could have talked for hours for sure. And that's probably the first time I've actually ever used the word exuberance in a sentence. So there's always something new on the Because and Effect. Thank you very much for everyone who's given us feedback on the show, who's left reviews on iTunes, who's subscribed to the show. It's been quite overwhelming to hear everyone uh, week after week and how the conversations are affecting you and how you've enjoyed listening to them. It makes us feel like we're doing the right thing for sure. If you're listening to some of these conversations and wanting to help a cause yourself, I haven't said it in any of the previous episodes, but you can definitely go through the Winnipeg Foundation. If you go to wpgfdn.org, there's tons of information about s supporting any of the causes that are out there now. And if you just feel like it's ready to, to give back to the city or to, to give back to the province, they can definitely help you out. All music on the Because NFX podcast was composed and produced by Trenton Burton. You can check him out at trentonburton.com. Because in Effect is a project of the Winnipeg Foundation. I'd like to say a special thank you to Robert Zirk and Sonny Promolo for production assistance on most of the episodes. I'm Nolan Bicknell. You can follow me at Nolan Bicknell on all social media, and you can follow the Winnipeg Foundation at WPGFDN as well. I'm Nolan Bicknell saying goodbye for another episode of Because and Effect. And remember, never grow up, just learn to be an adult. Thanks. <laughs>